I'm fired up. Let's do this, right? So before I get going on my message this morning, um, I wanted to take just a couple of minutes. And uh, my mom and dad, um, who are, if you don't know, they pastored this church for 25 years. Yeah, come on, give it up. That was, right? And they... Um, they're actually leaving this week to go to Ireland on a missions trip. And they're going to be gone for, is it 10 days? Two weeks, 14 days. And so would you guys stand up? We're going to pray for them real quick. And if you guys can just, you can be where you're at. And you can just reach your hands forward. And, and we're just going to pray for them that God would um, help them on their trip. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much uh, for the college to the nations that you've put um, on this couple. God, you've opening doors that no man can open. And so, God, we just thank you for that. God, while they're there, I ask, God, that you would uh, speak through them and minister to people all over the place, even the places they're not scheduled to minister. I pray that they would turn into ministry opportunities sitting and waiting for a bus or a plane or, or wherever they might be. God, I ask that you would guide their steps, guide their words. God, let, let your will be done on their trip as they go over uh, to do missionary work for the next couple weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> so keep them in your prayers for the next couple weeks um, as they are headed out to the international mission field. Now, now I've seen pictures of Ireland, and so... I don't know if suffering for Jesus, I don't, maybe, maybe a little bit, but there's, there's a whole nation that needs Jesus, and so they'll be out there preaching and ministering, and, and uh, one of the gifts that they have is to really encourage and build up church pastors and leaders, because they pastored for so long, they have so much wisdom and, and guidance, and, and so they, they'll be out there ministering to ministers and ministering to people, but they'll, they'll do a great job, and I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing the report of what comes back from the trip. Well, my name is Matt Williams, and my wife and I, Amber, we're the pastors here at City Church. If this is your first time here, I'm really glad that you're here today. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. In fact, after the service, I'll be in the lobby, and I'd love to shake your hand and, and say hi uh, if, you, if I get the opportunity. If you'd like to, you can also just ignore me and walk by. And my feelings aren't hurt. I understand. I understand. It's an awkward introduction, isn't it? We're just going to shift gears and move forward. All right, Thomas Jefferson. When Thomas Jefferson was president um, of the United States, he, uh, there was a story about him and, and his comrades. They came up to a riverbank, and they had to cross this riverbank, this river. And the, um, the rains had been so strong that year that the water had swelled up, and it had overpassed the banks of the river, and it was really high water. And, and so there were people gathered on the one shore, and they needed to get across to the other. And so uh, they're all gathered there kind of contemplating how they're going to do it. And they started going across on their horses and they're getting across this, this river um, that they're navigating. And there was another man standing there who also needed to get across the river, but he did not have a horse. He was on foot. And as he looked at all the men, he looked at Thomas Jefferson and said, can I jump on the back of your horse to get across the river? And of course, President Thomas Jefferson says, sure thing, man. Hop on board. So the guy hops on the back of his horse. He carries him across the river, and they get to the other side. After several had plunged and made it to the other side, the stranger asked the president. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto dry ground, one in the group asked him, Hey, tell me, man, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? The man was shocked. You know, they didn't have Instagram then, or 24-hour news cycle. Knowing the face of the president was something that was not common knowledge. 
The man was shocked, admitted he had no idea that it was the president who had helped him. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer no, and on some of them was the answer yes. He was a yes face. He was a yes face. We've been talking about bridges, and, and we're in the fifth week of this series talking about bridges. And, and we've talked about in week number one, we talked about the bridge between man and God. And how every world religion, every religion where, where human beings are trying to connect with God, they attempt to build a bridge from man's side of the chasm to God's side of the chasm. Except for biblical Christianity. It's the only one that's different. You see, everybody else says, if you can do this right and don't do that, if you can adhere to these rules and not do those rules, then maybe, just maybe, you might get most of the way across the chasm. And maybe when you die, God, this mysterious supreme being might reach out and just save you from the, from the grass. But you don't really know. There's not an eternal assurance. But you see, only in biblical Christianity was the bridge built from the other direction. You see, God saw the chasm between man and himself, and he said, no, I'm going to build a bridge from my side to man's side. I'm going to build that bridge. And we covered this, and, it, and if you missed it, you can catch up on the website, um, on the video and the audio there. But they, they have this, um, this, what we talked about was this, that, that the cross of Jesus Christ built the bridge, which means this. So the, the, the bridge is a cross, and you and I, we have a bridge that we have to cross. The God, the God built the bridge. It's up to us to, to cross it. It's a free gift. It's standing there. It's ready to go. But will you choose to cross it? The next week, we, we talked about the bridge of forgiveness. We don't forgive other people because uh, what they did was right. We don't justify. Forgiveness is not justifying their grievances toward us. Forgiveness is us choosing to let go of the baggage that is holding us back. We don't forgive people for others for them. We forgive others for us. Because when you hold on to forgiveness, it turns into bitterness. And so you have to build that bridge. And when that bitterness gets into you, it can really disrupt your life. I'm telling you, you know, you know somebody. Everybody knows somebody that, that had an offense that was done to them many, many years ago, and they never let it go. And you can watch how the bitterness has crept in and ruined their life. We have got to be people who build bridges of forgiveness, even when they don't deserve it. Because you know that you must be a forgiving person. God forgave us and so as followers of Christ, he modeled that. So now we must now forgive others. You know, the third week we talked about building a bridge of peace and reconciliation. Not every conflict in life can be reconciled, but most of them can. Most of them can. And the Bible gave us a real clear path on how to build that bridge of peace and reconciliation. And last week we talked about having a bridge of, to nowhere. Having a relationships that have a purpose. So many times we have relationships that are just there, but there's no purpose tied to that relationship. And there's nothing wrong with having relationships that are just there, but you got to have some relationships in your life that have purpose and give you focus in life. And this week, we're going to talk about the bridges that fail. The bridges that fail. You know, in relationships, people are really fairly simple. In fact, there was a study done of more than 40,000 Americans. And it said that these qualities were the most valued in a friend. Here's the qualities that are most valued in a relationship or in a friendship. Number one, the ability to keep confidences. That makes sense, right? Ability to keep confidences. I like that. Number two is loyalty. Loyalty. And number three is warmth and affection. 
warmth, and affection. Those are the three main things that people are seeking in a friendship or in a relationship. I got to tell you that I'm pretty passionate about this. I'm pretty passionate about building bridges that don't fail. And when bridges do fail, how is it that they failed and why are they, they failing? You see, if you're building a bridge to the wrong person and that bridge continues to fail, that relationship continues to collapse over and over again, or maybe it's that type of person that you have built that bridge over and over and over again. You know, if you're going from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, and every time your boss is a jerk, I'm not a mathematician, but there is a common denominator. If you're going from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend or girlfriend to girlfriend to girlfriend or, or wife to wife to husband to husband, if you're jumping from relationship to relationship and, and things are building these bridges and they're failing, there is a common denominator. And, and that common denominator is something that we've got to talk about. We've got to be honest about it. We've got to be real. You know what? I know a couple of things. And one of them is this, is that you're not perfect. And you know something too that I'm not perfect. <laughs> like the dramatic pause. Uh, but there's, there's imperfection in each of us. And we've got to be honest with our shortcomings and be humble about them and take them to the Lord to have him help us fix them. And we've got to be able to do this. In fact, this morning, I want to look at a character in the Bible who had a classic flaw. He liked the ladies. He liked them to the point where they derailed his life on multiple Occasions. And so we're going to start in the book of Judges chapter 14 by a guy named Samson. By a guy named Samson. Samson was um, a really strong guy. And uh, he was built, he was jacked, he was like a bodybuilder. And so he liked the ladies and, well, the ladies probably liked him as well. So in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came home, came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. <laughs> hey, times were different then. <laughs> I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah. young men, don't, don't try this at home. No, that's not how things work nowadays in our culture. But he comes home and he says, Mom, Dad, that one. Get her now. I want that one. I want what I want. Is what he was saying. I want that one. You got to understand, though, you see, he was not a Philistine. And yet he's looking in the other camp, saying, looking at this other group of people saying, I want that one over there. That would have been highly controversial, frowned upon in the society. They would have said, No, 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 no. Why can't you stick to your own area, your own kind, your own background? There's, there's a difference between who you are and who she is. I mean, everything culturally about your lives are just so dramatically different. But, you know, they caved and they said, sure, why not? We can make this happen. And so as you read through up to verse 8, it says, some days, After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of a lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Now, culturally, that would have been fairly problematic, but we don't have time to get into that. In verse number 10, it said, His father went down to the, to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, so for the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Okay, why would they see him and then bring 30 friends 
This is, this is something that's interesting in the times you see. Normally, the groom would have brought an entourage of his like, homies and his, his, his clan, right? His, his crew would have come alongside with him. He would have had a crowd coming with him. Apparently, he did not bring um, either anybody or maybe enough people, and they felt pity for him. And so they assigned him some like stand-in um, dudes. You know what I mean? Like some best men and like, you know, you didn't have a bachelor party. Like, you know, like, like they, they, they signed some people to him. They signed him 30 people. So think about this. Why would either he didn't have friends or all of his friends said, that girl is trouble. She's bad news. I can't support you in this relationship. And so he's down there by himself having 30 random guys assigned to be on his side of the aisle. Have you ever been to a wedding and they have the groom side and the, and the bride side and one side is packed and the other side is empty? It's awkward. I'm telling you, it's awkward. So they, they stacked his side to help him out, to help him out. If the people who know you think the relationship is bad for you, you should listen to them. There is probably some wisdom in what they are saying. And so many times we look at relationships like dating relationships, but there's so many more relationships to that. You have a friend that's hanging around and your other friends say, I, this person's bad news. If your wife tells you that that friend from work is bad news, you better listen. That's, that's the one my wife's like, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Same thing. If, if, if your husband is telling you, hey, listen, this other friend of yours is, I, I think she's derailing your purpose and mission in life. I think, I think she's disrupting. You should listen to that. Who knows you better than your spouse? And if they see something that you don't see, are they really trying to bind you up and keep you down? Or are they trying to protect you from, from the potential failings that are sitting in front of you? Your closest friends, it's hard to tell your friend you shouldn't hang out with that person. It's hard. You've got to like, work up some courage to do that. And if your friends have, and your family and, and your, your spouse has worked up the courage to tell you that, I'm telling you, I, I think you ought to listen to it. There's some wisdom in the midst of that. And so now they're hanging out, they're partying, they're doing the pre-wedding party. And uh, in verse 12, it says, And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you, if you can tell me what it is within the seven days of this feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle so that we may hear it. And so he said to them, Out of the eater comes something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. He pulled the honey out of the carcass of the lion on his way down there, and, and he hadn't told his parents, and he hadn't told anyone what he had done. And so it would be impossible for anybody to, to know what he was talking about. And so he's making a wager with his stand-in groomsmen, if you will, trying to figure out, okay, and, and so they have this thing going on. On the fourth day, these guys are freaking out. These 30 guys are freaking out. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? So you got to figure this out, right? They've invited these 30 guys to stand in on this wedding. And these guys are like, they're not being paid to do this. They're not friends. They're doing them a favor. And in the midst of it, they realize now they have, they're going to have to spend a bunch of money to buy this guy a bunch of clothes. And they're kind of freaking out. So they go to the 
Philistine woman, and they're like, hey, entice, figure out what the answer is. Get it, get it for me, get it for me. And so she does. She, she works and works, and she asks and asks and begs and borrows and steals and, and gets it all and tries to figure out what it is, what it is. So Samson's fiancé eventually gets Samson to tell her the answer to the riddle. And so she goes and she tells the 30 men. And the 30 men say, ah, what's stronger than a lion, what's sweeter than honey? I figured out your riddle. Samson knew he was betrayed. But now he's got to go buy 30 items of clothing. Apparently this is expensive enough that it's a bit of a burden. He doesn't have 30 items of clothing. So what does Samson do? He goes out and murders 30 people and takes their clothes. <laughs> right? Like, dude, <laughs> chill out a little bit. Like, he's got some anger issues. And so while, but while he's gone, everybody's, he's, you know, apparently this takes some time for him to go do this. Um, and while he's gone, they, they say, well, we have this wedding party. The groom is now upset. He takes off. What's happening? I don't know. Well, somebody's getting married today because we just got the feast and we got the party and we got the priests and we're ready to rock and roll. And so they married this girl off to one of the 30 dudes who was standing in as his best man. That's a rough day right there, isn't it? That is a rough day right there. That is what I call a failed relationship. <laughs> that is a failed relationship. It's a uh, I tell you what, there are some failed relationships in our life, though. In fact, I, I think if, if we just told the story of the failed relationships that each of us have had in our past, there'd be some doozies sitting right here in this room. I mean, maybe you didn't murder, murder 30 people. Maybe your ex-boyfriend did, though. I mean, but, but there, there's some stories that we could tell, couldn't we, about failed relationships, whether it's an ex-boyfriend or a girlfriend or an ex-wife or an ex-husband, or maybe it's an ex-business partner that you had partnered with that stabbed you in the back, that, that did something inappropriate, right? What, what, maybe a friendship that you were trusting in and leaning on. There are some stories in the midst of this room right here of failed relationships. We have all experienced a failure of relationship. So this morning, I want to challenge you and say this. If you are unequal in your match of your relationship, it causes undue pressure, which causes the bridge to fail. If you have a bridge that's spanning a chasm and the foundation on one side is different than the foundation on the other, you will have bridge problems. You will. And so Samson, who was of one culture, chose a wife of another culture, and they had problems, didn't they? In fact, the culture of, on Samson's side, they, they rejected it. They wouldn't go with him. And then on the other side, they sought to undermine the relationship as it was just getting started. When the foundations aren't in the same place, built to the same way to handle the same kind of bridge, it causes problems. Oftentimes in Christian circles, you hear the word unequally yoked. That's not the yellow thing in the middle of the egg. That has an L. This has a, doesn't have an L. So unequally yoked is, is what you hear oftentimes. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter, four, chapter 6, verse 14, it says this, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Some translations will say, Do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. See, the yoke was this thing that they strapped around the neck of oxen to be able to team them together to pull a plow. 
This was an agricultural society. This is something that was a very common phrase. If you, if you took a donkey and a mule, if you took an ox and, I don't know, a horse, and you tried to yoke them together to pull, it wouldn't work very well for you. And here's why. is because their, their pacing is different. One has longer legs, one has shorter legs. So the steps that they're taking are not in unison. It's a little awkward and disjointed all the way through. Will you get your field plowed? Maybe, but you're going to be fighting with it the whole entire time. In fact, one that wants to walk a little faster than the other, you're going to start wanting to go in circles and veering off to one side. It's like having mismatched tires on your car. You would, you would be fighting it all the time with your steering wheel to stay in the lane. It's like the same concept as being unequally teamed up, unequally yoked. You need to have equally yoked relationships when it comes to the center core of of your friendships. When you get married, you need to get married with somebody who is equally yoked. Now, if you are married and you're thinking, I'm unequally yoked, too bad. You've already made a commitment and a vow before God. It is a covenant. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you what it is because it's, it's true. You've already made this decision. You've already teamed up, which means you need to figure out a way to get back on sync with each other. If you're having marriage struggles, don't tell me, oh, we're just unequally yoked. Maybe you are, but guess what? You made a commitment before God. And so at this point, it's not about finding a new partner. Don't think that way. That's not what this verse is saying. It's saying it's time for you to to get in sync and in lockstep with that person, which means you might need to speed up or slow down to an uncomfortable pace in order to line up with your partner and get on the same page. You might need to do that. So 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What a harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? How can a, how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? When you are unequal, there are three areas in which you can be considered unequal. Now, this doesn't just apply to your marriage, although it does, but it also applies to other relationships in your life. Number one is this, you're different in spiritual maturity. You are different in spiritual maturity. You know, there is a tension sometimes in a relationship when your walk with God is stronger than the other person's walk with God. There are times where if you are in relationship with someone who is an unbeliever and you believe that God is telling you to do something, How do you go to that person and say, I think God is telling me to do this? You can't even communicate on the same level and frequency when you're doing that. You've got to have your inner circle. The people who are the closest to you are are, are the ones that, that you have to be close to the same maturity level for this thing to work. You see, your spiritual growth, if you're the one that's growing, if you're the believer, if you're the one that's further advanced in your spiritual maturity, the other person will hold you back a little bit. It doesn't mean you cut them off. It just means you've got to find a solution to get yourself back onto the same page. So what are you looking for when you're looking for someone that, that is spiritual maturity? Do they have a teachable spirit? And are there tangible signs of spiritual growth? Are there tangible signs of spiritual growth? You know, another equal thing is different values. If you have a different value system than the person that you are trying to be in close relationship with, there will be a tension, a mismatch between them. There's going to be something that you're going to have to to reconcile. Because if your values are, are giving and serving, 
and, and your values are based on scripture and, and, and prayer, it's going to be different because if the other person's values are success in the business world and trying to uh, gain uh, more money, well, now you're le- leaving in different areas. There's nothing wrong with those different areas necessarily, it's that, but you've got to be on the same page. You've got to be equally yoked in your values. And, you've, and another unequal thing that I see is different purposes. What are you committed to? Who owns you? Who do you belong to? What, what is it that you're striving for? See, I believe that you've given a purpose by God. And if you're thinking about marrying somebody and they believe they're called to go be the mission field in Africa and you think that I'm, you're called to go be, do something great in the corporate business world, guess what? Those things don't necessarily line up. There's an unequalness in the yoke. But she looks so pretty. That's great. You can FaceTime her from across the planet. It's going to have challenges. I'm just telling you. It's the same thing in raising your kids. You've got to get onto an equal yoking level with raising your kids. You know, I see some families that they are really passionate about sports. And the kids are playing soccer and football and, and, and basketball. And, and they're playing every sport that's out there and they're running around. Now, if both, of you, if both parents are on board with this and then you guys are together, it's going to be fine because you're on the equal playing field. But if one of you is saying, I don't want to do this, and the other one is saying, I do want to do this, there's going to be a tension inside of your home. You can become unequally yoked in your marriage. You can be unequally yoked in your business partnerships. Your worldview and their worldview need to be on the same page, in the same track. Sometimes we can read a verse like this and think, well, I'm just going to alienate myself from everyone else that isn't exactly like me. In fact, you don't even have to look in the Bible to get that idea. You can just look in the world around you. You know what I mean? Like you can look around and, and, and people tend to group together into like-minded clusters. They call that the Democrats and the Republicans and the Independents. And, the, and you, you know, you see that and, they, and they, they, they get into their like own little circles and they only talk with themselves and they come up with their ideas. And then you see the conflict that happens when that starts to happen, don't you? And naturally in humanity, we, we start to want to reach that, that, that thing where we, we click together. But the Bible talks a lot about being in the world and not of the world. It talks a lot about being a positive influence in our world, not removing ourselves and alienating ourselves from the world. I want to tell you this that you have different circles of friendships. You have some relationships that are your inner core. Jesus had Peter, James, and John as his inner circle. And then he had his 12, and then and then it went bigger and bigger and bigger. I just want to tell you that your inner core, your 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 inside crew, you have got to be equally yoked. You've got to be on the same page. Relate to the godly without being yoked to them. You know, Jesus gave us a fantastic example of this. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is hanging out with some shady characters. And at the time, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, 
did, they alienated themselves from those who they felt were unworthy for their presence. They, they thought, well, I'm just going to remove myself from these people. But Jesus didn't. He, he crossed those boundaries. In fact, he went to Matthew, the tax collector's house, and hung out with, with the sinners and, and the people who, the, the religious people at the time, would consider to be very shady characters. Jesus went and hung out with them. And so you see in verse 11, you see the Pharisees talking. They won't even go to Jesus. They go to his disciple, and they, they talk to his disciple within earshot of Jesus in verse 11, it says, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus pipes into that conversation. He says, Those who are well have not need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus was saying that your religious background, your occupational background, what society thinks of you or doesn't think of you is not a prerequisite for being in my presence. You can be in the presence of God regardless of your background. You might be here this morning and you might have said, you know, I've gone too far. I've just, if, if you just knew what I've done, there's no way that God would ever accept me where I'm at right now. No, God does accept you where you're at. In fact, he goes to where you're at right now and he is seeking you out. You don't even have to seek him out. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. That's it. That's all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Sometimes you're a believer in Christ. You might be a believer in Christ this morning and you've just walked back from God. All you have to say is, God, I don't want to be far from you. Please let me draw near to you now. And he is faithful to do that. He is faithful to do that. You see, the, re the religious people of the time looked at the Proverbs and looked at the scripture and they, they said, well, I don't want to hang out with a fool. I don't want to hang out with these people who are considered outcasts. So my question for you today is this. When you're delineating between your inner circle, who are you equally yoked with and who is your next level circle? The question comes down to this, is who do you influence and who influences you? You see, Jesus went to Matthew's house. He went into the area that was the shady part of town. He went into the other guy's house and he went and influenced them. So when you have people in your life that you recognize that you shouldn't be yoked with, are you influencing them or are they influencing you? My, my parents used to say all the time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That does not change once you get past high school. Who are your influencers? Who influences you and who do you influence? You see, Jesus was influencing them. Jesus gave an invitation to follow. He invited people to see and experience what his, this life of a Christian is all about. Jesus was meeting the needs of others. See, when you meet the needs of others, you gain influence. People are willing to listen to someone who cares for them. Nobody knows, nobody cares what you know until they know what you care. Which means this, when you are in the office and working and you see somebody's need, go meet it. Go meet it. Go find, go find a way to encourage somebody. Go find a way to, to do that. You, you gain influence in somebody's life when you start to meet the needs of other people around you. They start to see, man, this guy, this gal actually cares about me. And you do. So many times what we feel on the inside is not expressed on the outside. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, are you okay? You look angry, but you're not. It's because the outside and the inside aren't matching up. You care about these people, so let's start to show it. You see, Jesus was driven by love and not legalism, lovingly reminding people 
of who God created them to be. Jesus had a way to love people with such intensity. Sometimes we get stuck in destructive patterns, though. Samson had a destructive pattern. There was this gal that he was interested in, and many of you have heard of Samson and Delilah, another lady from the same camp who uh, cut his fancy as well. Yet another downfall for him. I've heard it described as the Sisyphus complex. What? The Sisyphus complex. <laughs> In Greek mythology, there was this guy named Sisyphus. And uh, they, so they tell this story about Sisyphus. And in Greek legend, Sisyphus was punished in Hades for his misdeeds in life by being condemned eternally to roll a heavy stone up a hill. And as he reached the top, the stone rolled down again so that his labor was everlasting and futile. If you can picture a, a hill that comes to a peak and this guy is pushing the stone up the hill, this big boulder, working it, working it, working it. And he finally gets to the top and he thinks, oh, I can finally, I've, I've achieved my purpose. I've, I've accomplished what I'm doing only to see that at the point there is no resting spot and the boulder just rolls over the other side and falls out. So he comes back down and he picks it back up and he starts pushing it back up again. If the band would come, I'm actually going to close right now. How many times have we started a relationship only to have the boulder fall back down again? How many times have we found ourselves pushing this thing up and, and it gets to the top and, and we think as we're getting close to the top, things are finally working out and then all of a sudden it just, something happens and it just falls apart again and, and you got to start over yet again. And for some of us, our boulders have names. Maybe your boulder's name is John or Mark or Susan or Nancy. Maybe it's the manager at this place and the boss at that place. Maybe it's, maybe it's this relationship or that relationship. Maybe it's your kids. You have your kids' names attached to the boulder and you've worked so hard to get this relationship up into the right spot so that it stays where it's supposed to stay and you see it falling over again and again and again. How many times have we started a relationship and had it fall back down again? Why does every romance, friendship, employment situation, why are the ending the same way. How long are we going to continue to blame the rock? If you have bridges that are failing in your life, I want to challenge you to look at a couple of things. Is it possible that you're pursuing an unequal relationship? Is it possible that you're trying to get this thing into balance in your life and God is calling you not to have it in that balance in your life? Is it possible? Is it possible that, that you're trying to control something and push something to be where it's supposed to be and you're working so hard to get it there, but at the end of the day, God is saying, I'm not calling you to push that rock to the top of that peak. Is it possible that you're pushing this thing out of your own strength and God is saying, no, I, I'm not calling you to do that. Let me handle the rock. In order to be equally yoked to someone, you have to understand a couple of things. And one of them is that you have to understand yourself. And every failed bridge that you've had in your life, our first reaction, all of us, our first reaction is we know everything that the other side of the bridge did wrong, don't we? 
We know everything that they did wrong. We understand the words that they said or didn't say. We understand the actions they took or didn't. We know their side instantly. Do you take the time to discover your side? After that failed relationship, you just jump right back into another one and start pushing another boulder up? Or are you going to pause and say, wait a minute, I'm tired of pushing boulders around in my life. You got to understand who you are so that you understand how to be equally yoked with somebody else in your life. You have to understand this thing. Have you moved an outer circle person into your inner circle to only regret it? Maybe it's time to move them back into the outer circle area again. So you must know yourself before you can know if the other person is an equally yoked possibility. Like what's your upbringing and their upbringing? For someone who grew up in a house that was full of violence and you get married and, and then you're trying to make a family together and you're doing everything you can to keep peace in your home and it seems like the other person is just creating chaos all the time and, and you're wrestling back and forth, maybe chaos is normal and so they're trying to create a normal home environment to them. Like their perspective is just different than your perspective. How do you reconcile these things? You're trying to create a culture of peace and they're fighting it and they're they're trying to create their normal. How do you know who you are? How? I believe that you must look to the creator to discover the purpose for the created. And if you were created by God, the person who came up with you, the person who invented you, who thought about you and made, had a plan for your life before you were ever born into this world, that's the person you go to to understand where is my purpose in this life. So many times we get caught up looking to the left and to the right for our purposes in life. But I'm telling you that you look to God alone to find the purpose in your life. If you're constantly looking for validation and purpose from others, you will live with constant disappointment. And so you need to get alone. You need to take time to seek out the creator. You need to take time. And maybe it's just every other day or so, just go for a walk in your neighborhood. Get up before your family and go for a walk. We, we, we live in Albuquerque. The weather is amazing almost all the time. You can go out and, and go for a walk in the morning and just pray and say, God, I'm looking to you for my purpose. Will you help me find my purpose? When you just start walking and praying, get alone, get away from the people around you to be able to find your space to do this. Maybe it's you don't have to go for a walk. Maybe you have a, a room in your house that you can go to, or maybe you have a space that you can do this. Don't just run right back into the next thing and find yourself pushing another boulder up a hill. You know, when you look to the word of God, when you start reading the scripture, you start to realize that God has said things about you and there's hundreds and hundreds of verses of God talking about how he's created you and given you purpose and, and he's given you here for a reason. In Proverbs 19.21, it says that many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You've got to find your purpose in God. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things God works for he is good of those who love him who has been called according to his purpose. And in Ephesians 2, it says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <clears throat> I 
my hope and my heart on this series is that we would learn how to build bridges of community with people who can help us grow closer to the Lord. If you have bridges that are failing, I want to challenge you to look for your purpose from God. Stop looking to the left and to the right. If you feel like you've been pushing this boulder up this hill, repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Maybe it's time to walk away from the boulder and turn that over to God and say, God, maybe you're not even asking me to do this boulder. God, what is it that you have for my life? What is the purpose for my life? Will you stand with me? I'd like to pray for you before we leave this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you've given us purpose. God, I thank you so much that your word has given us so much wisdom. God, I just pray right now that you would give everyone here wisdom and how to create relationships that are tied together on an equal footing. God, help people to have marriages that are locked in on the same page. If they're not on the same page, God, I pray that you would move them onto the same page by your grace and, and, and your power. God, allow, allow us to be humble enough to move our marriages to the same page. God, allow us to have relationships with our kids that are, are tied together in a healthy way. God, give us your purpose. God, help us to be able to pursue you and to seek you and not look for purpose to the left and to the right. God, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So come on, church, let's sing one last song before we leave today.
the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Have a great week.